Let's bow once more as we um, prepare our hearts to receive the word of God this morning. Lord, we just sung, Have Thine Own Way, uh, that you are the potter and we are the clay. Uh, And Father, Lord, thank you for being able to see that as a reality, that uh, we can see you as the creator, uh, that you have made everything. Uh, There is nothing that is made that you have not made. Uh, And so, Father, we thank you for that almighty power that you exhibit through the creation, but also, too, in uh, continuing to sustain our lives as we live uh, and live life each and every day. Uh, which does pose many problems, many challenges, uh, many sets of circumstances that uh, are sometimes it's not pleasant. And so, Father, uh, we know that uh, as the potter, you are continuing to conform us into your image. Uh, Just as we think about how a potter molds a piece of clay uh, into something that is beautiful, something that is useful. And so, Father, Lord, I ask that you would do that in my life today, as well as the lives of each of my brothers and sisters here this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And as we just begin uh, this section, uh, as you know, uh, we are stepping out of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, and uh, there is a noticeable change in the content Uh, in the book of Ephesians from this point forward. Uh, And just like today is a uh, New Year's Day, uh, it's January 1st of 2023, Uh, there is something about fresh starts, uh, about being able to to do something different uh, in relation to maybe a pattern of behavior, uh, whether it is in how uh, you uh, treat others and how you live for the Lord. Uh, All those things can be things that Uh, when we look through the lens of a resolution, uh, is something that we can look forward to. Uh, And Lord willing, as you have maybe made some resolutions, uh, one of which was at least uh, to continue to get up and to worship the Lord this morning, Uh, and I'm glad that you're here this morning in relation to that. Uh, But what is a resolution? If you have a resolution to do something, uh, what is that by definition? Uh, Well, the dictionary tells us that it is the act of resolving or determining upon an action or course of action, or in other words, making up your mind to do something and persevering toward that goal. Uh, And we resolve to do things each and every day. Sometimes we resolve to do the same thing each and every day. Uh, For some of us, having a pattern or a habit, having structure uh, is something that we thrive in. Uh, For others, uh, your personality may be that you like to fly by the seat of your pants and having uh, no structure is how you thrive. Uh, But you still end up resolving to do something. You still have forward momentum, some sort of action, or as we have talked about in our singing this morning, as we'll look here in our text this morning, that uh, we're walking towards something. Uh, And uh, we know uh, that uh, tomorrow may bring things that we're not ready to walk through or to walk uh, in, in, in any knowledge that can actually guide us towards some sort of end. What we find here in Ephesians chapter 4, um, as I said, a transition. Um, chapters 1 through 3 gave us uh, a lot of doctrine. It gave us a lot of things uh, in relation to the realities that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, we've, we've seen what salvation is all about. 
uh, that it belongs to God, that it is his sovereign work in our hearts, taking that which is dead and making it alive. Uh, And in chapter 4 and 5 and 6, uh, you're going to see a noticeable change in how Paul is, uh, you know, presenting this letter to the church at Ephesus, because he is going to actually give us a practical response to our identity in Christ. So in other words, you're not saved so that you can just, you know, have your sins forgiven and be made right with God. There's actually a, a, a purpose in that, a practical, you know, moving forward uh, in relation to who you are, uh, a noticeable change. Uh, and Paul makes this uh, similar transition in uh, what we would say from right doctrine to a right living uh, in the book of Romans, in Galatians, in Philippians, in Colossians, and First Thessalonians. Uh, and so as you look at those New Testament letters, you know, and you know, we're going to see even this morning that Paul oftentimes you know, as we read them, they, they seem similar, as if, you know, Paul is repeating the same kind of, you know, action or something that is practical in our living before God. Uh, and, and it's not because Paul was some, you know, uh, you know, spiritual guru that had, you know, something to, to share that would change people's lives. The reason the message is the same is because it's coming from the God who does not change. Uh, and he is the one who tells us how we're supposed to live. Uh, And to live a God-honoring life, we must know what God desires. Uh, And so we've seen who God is. We've seen what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. Uh, And so now we're going to see that worked out in a very practical way. Because, you know, we we were once, uh, you know, those that were alive to sin, but now we're dead to sin. Uh, But dead to sin is not just an in and itself, because we're alive in Christ. So there is a practical aspect that we're going to see uh, as we step into chapter 4 this morning. So I'd like you to stand uh, as I read our text for this morning, as we prepare our hearts to have the right response to our calling. It says there in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, you may be seated. So what is the right response to our calling? Maybe you're here this morning and you didn't realize you were called to anything. But because of Christ's and his salvation because of the faith that you've been given as a gift, because you've exercised faith in Christ, you actually have a calling. Uh, And that calling we're going to see is something that Paul is urging each and every one of us to fulfill, not just to allow it to be out there in the the ether for us to potentially grab or to embrace. Uh, But we're going to see from the language here that Paul is preparing us for us to see that there is a practical sense in which we are to live the Christian life, uh, that we have something that God has for us, that the scriptures even say he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, those good works that it tells us back in chapter 2. So you'll notice here that Paul, at the beginning of chapter 4, you know, introduces this uh, chapter, which we know the chapters were put in there after, but for our purpose is what we're looking at here. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts out, 
I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Well, if you look back at chapter 3, verse 1, you'll notice that Paul also said, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So why is Paul using this you know, title as a prisoner for the Lord? Well, we know from Acts chapter 9, verse 6, that it says uh, that, you know, uh, Christ speaking in relation to Paul, he says, I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. Uh, and we know that Paul suffered greatly uh, as a result of exercising faith and trust in Christ. Uh, and uh, he did so in the power of God uh, and the power of God working in and through him. And we know from last time when we looked at chapter 3, verse 1, that Paul did not see himself as a prisoner of the Jews. He did not see himself as a prisoner of Rome. He didn't see himself as a prisoner of Caesar, even though he was, in a sense, a prisoner of the Jews, a prisoner of Rome, and a prisoner of Caesar. And so we are seeing a side of Paul that you know, gives us a testimony of the fact that he is living in light of something else. That even though he may look at his physical circumstances and see that, yes, I am a prisoner uh, and I'm in a Roman prison, but I'm not really under their care. I'm not there under their authority. I am there because this is exactly where God has me. Uh, and that's the difference. You know, what liberated Paul from these earthly prisons was his trust in God's will for him. And it didn't matter what it was. You know, and, and I think, you know, as I look at the life of Paul, you know, if I look at the life of, of many of the biblical characters, you know, it, it, you step back and you, you look and you say, you know, God, give me the ability to be that Christ-like, to be able to, to stand, you know, as we sung, it, it says, you know, you know, even when we fall, we fall in Christ. Well, you know, biblically, we actually stand, and we'll find out in Ephesians a little bit later on, that we stand in the power of God. We're not standing in our own power. And when we stand in the power of God, then technically we should never fall because no one can conquer God's power. It's almighty. And so as we think about this trust and being part of God's will, uh, we, we should desire, like Paul, to be a part of God's will. See, Paul knew that nothing would happen to him apart from it being part of God's plan for him. The thing is, is God has a plan for each and every one of us, something that he's declared, you know, and he has given us his word for us to live by. He has given us commands to walk or to abide so that we can actually experience what God has for us, those blessings, uh, those ways in which he does the spiritual surgery uh, to draw us closer to him so that we can follow him and live for him in a world that is antagonistic to him which is very hard. Uh, I don't need to tell you, living the Christian life, whether you find yourself in opposition from family members, where maybe you're the only Christian in your family, and you, you desire for their salvation, but the same token, you know, they, they keep you at arm's length because they know something is different about you. Maybe they ridicule you, make fun of you, or maybe you go to work and you find those same things happening to you at work because you actually have an ethic you don't steal like the rest of the people do in the company, you know, and end up playing video games on their monitor when the boss isn't watching. But the thing is, is we know we live differently because God's always watching. God knows everything that we do. God knows everything that we think. 
and say. And so Paul lives in light of all of this. And, and when he says, you know, twice here in, in as many verses as we see from 3.1 to 4.1, he's saying this for it to be a reality and a gentle reminder to all believers is that being a Christian can be costly because you know you're on the receiving end oftentimes because of your faith in Christ. You stand out like a sore thumb in this world. And you should, because Jesus stood out. Jesus was not like the rest of the world. Jesus wasn't even like the religious leaders of his day, because he came bearing the truth, and he gave that truth in love, uh, so that people could see their sin and see their need of a Savior. See, Paul had a perspective, he had a focus, he had a reliance, he had a dependence upon God that we can learn from. And so it's not a coincidence that he's saying, I am a prisoner, and he's not doing it so that people can have a pity party for Paul. He's saying it so that we are not fooled into thinking that being a Christian is going to be the easy road in this life. It's to the contrary. Now, we are blessed. We do live in a country where right now we are free to worship God as we do. We are gathered in this place this morning, and we have the ability to worship God but the gentle reminder should be there because there are believers around this world, on this globe that is still spinning because God sustains it, that are being persecuted for their faith. And so Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant and doesn't want us to think that, you know, this is wonderful and that nothing, you know, that we could consider bad or harmful to us in a physical sense will not happen because there's a good possibility it will. Because they persecuted our Savior, and therefore they want to persecute us. And we can see that more and more in our culture today, uh, where people are not embracing of God or of morals or of truth. So notice there, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. So this word here in Greek means to admonish, to implore, to exhort, and to do so absolutely. So Paul is not just saying, well, I really hope that you do this. No, he's urging. He's, he's saying, you know what, we really need to be doing this. There is an urgency for us to be doing this, not to be living however we want or living, you know, basically as, uh, you know, someone who has no power whatsoever that is just, you know, riding the, the current until which time we, we pass over death into eternity. You know, he's saying, I urge you, I admonish you, I implore you, I exhort you to do something. Not remain stagnant, not be content in relation to where you are spiritually, but instead be growing, walking towards something. This same Greek word is used in Romans 12.1, which you probably have memorized. You know, it says, I appeal. That word appeal is the same Greek word here in Ephesians 4.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, Romans is Paul's letter as well, uh, using the, those same words to show that there is an urgency. Now, today is January 1st of 2023, and you know we, we, our culture has kind of put somewhat of an urgency on that resolution. You need to resolve to be different to embrace life differently, 
You know, maybe because you were given a, a bad hand in 2022, let's look to 2023 and resolve to, to look at it differently or to pursue something else that may bring you happiness or joy or whatever the world is, is seeking that they'll never really truly find. Uh, but he says, I urge you. So what is he urging us to do today? As a prisoner for the Lord, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk worthy. Walk worthy. When you look at your life, when you look at how you lived last year, can you look at it and say, I walked worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I walked worthy of my Savior who gave himself for me. I walk worthy of the creator of all things. I walk worthy of the potter as the clay. See, it is possible to walk in a manner unworthy. The rest of the world, even if they don't acknowledge God, does not walk in a manner worthy of God because they fall short of the glory of God. That's what the scriptures tell us. But even as believers, there's an aspect in which if we are not feeding ourselves, if we're not growing, if we're not, you know, spending time with God each and every day, and, you know, as the word said, I need you, like you need air, you need oxygen to breathe physically, do you have that sense where you need God that much, that you want to walk worthy? Because there's a sense in which we can walk unworthy. We can rob God of glory by doing things, uh, you know, for our own purposes. Trying to get the most that we can still get out of people, out of life. And see, it's a hard calling to think. Paul's urging us to walk in a manner worthy. And worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Well, what calling have you been called? Well, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, living for yourself, under the prince and the power of the, of the air, in the kingdom of darkness. And you've been called out of that. You are no longer in darkness, you're in light. You're in the truth. You've been redeemed. You've been set free from the bondage of sin. And you should live in light of that. And this desire to walk worthy is not so that God will love you. Let me say that again. Our desire to walk worthy is not so that God will love you, but because God already loves you. It's a result of what God has done through Christ. It should be the response of every believer who has been changed, who has been given spiritual life, who is dead in their trespasses, trespasses that's a big word, and sins, and made alive in Christ. Do you notice the word alive? That means not dead. So there should be a response to what Christ has done. There should be a response to the manger. Not just in warm, fuzzy feelings. There should be a response that that is the Son of God, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who took on flesh and dwelt among us so that we would know the truth. And he gave me the gift of salvation and gave me the gift of faith to believe that without him, there is no way I can be righteous enough to be in the presence of God forever. 
See, walking worthy is not a merit-based response, but a natural response to the great work that God has already begun and has promised to complete. And I told you that Paul, you know, as you read his letters, you will oftentimes find that there is repetitive language. And that's not by mistake. Again, he's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. The reason why there is commonalities and why it's the same is because the call to which we've been called, both you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is the same. And that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So flip over to Colossians chapter 1, because I want you to see that as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus or the saints at Ephesus, and as he writes to the church in Colossae, notice the language. So this is not him calling the church and the believers in Ephesus to one standard and the church in Colossae to another. Listen to what he says in verses 9 through 14. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Boy, that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? I think we looked at that in chapter 3 and chapter 2 and chapter 1 and now in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Again, living according to the power of God, not our own power. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Well, there's the calling to which you've been called. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, Paul's message is the same because God is the same and what God has called us to is the same. Now, he has gifted us differently, but our call to salvation, I'm saved exactly the same way you're saved because there is only one way to be saved. And God has given us the ability, as well as the admonition, through the urging of the Apostle Paul, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Remember, for all the Olympians that are maybe not present in the 830 service, but will surely be in the 11, that this is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the theme verse for the Olympians, Philippians 3.14. It's an upward call, a call that only God can give, a call that only those who've been redeemed can see and embrace and live in light of. An unregenerate person, someone who is unsaved in the domain of darkness, does not see the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. They have no desire, they don't even see it as an urgency whatsoever because you know what, I'm just going to live for the moment. I don't know what tomorrow may bring, so why not just, you know, live is, you know, the way I want for the, the, the little bit of the time I have here on earth because, you know what, I really, life is just a, you know, short little thing that I'm going to live the way I want. 
But Paul is saying there is a right response to your salvation. It should flow out of a result of you knowing Jesus Christ. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all, and then there's a list of characteristics that characterize what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy. And we're only going to get to the very first one, so don't start panicking when you start looking at your watch and wondering, how on earth is he going to get through all of this? With all humility. That's the very first one on the list, and that's what we're going to spend the remainder of our time speaking to. Humility is defined as loneliness of mind. So in other words, seeing yourself as God sees you. God's still the potter, we're still the clay. But don't have an inflated view of who you are. And this flows from a heart attitude before God. And you'll notice if you remember back to when we went through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, what is the first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, that's humility. That's that lowliness of mind. It's that heart attitude to be poor in spirit. So in other words, not to look and inflate yourself up and say, God, you know what? I'm the very best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah, someone else agrees that that's foolish language to say. Or maybe you know me better than I know myself. But see, the thing is, is that's how the world is. The world puffs itself up in pride because they think they are the best thing since sliced bread. But when in comparison to the God of all, to the creator, to the potter, what does the clay say to the potter? You know, the clay is there to be molded and shaped into something useful by the one who has the power and the ability to do something great and awesome. And that's exactly what God does because that's exactly who God is. We cannot become God's children apart from humbling ourselves. See, we can't come to God and say, here, God, I have the ability to appease your wrath on my sin because you don't. Because even your very best is as filthy rags before a holy God. And we cannot rightly live the Christian life without humility. So it's an interesting connection there that you can't even become a Christian without being humbled by the God of all to realize that you are a sinner in need of salvation, to have your spiritual eyes open to spiritual things, but also in living the life to which God has called you, that same life that Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord, is urging you to walk in a manner worthy of. See, it's all connected, and the connecting, and and the very first thing on that list is humility. To stop thinking much about yourself and see yourself through God's eyes. And realize that you are someone now because you belong to God. He has declared you righteous as the just judge of all. And so you should walk in light of that. So what are some characteristics of biblical humility? I'm going to give you five. They all begin with the letter C, so either it's going to confuse you greatly or you'll be able to remember it very well. 
The first is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. The first is to cease living for self. Now, let me preface this because we are living in a day and age where everyone is talking about self-care. And, you know, there might be some that may disagree in relation to this biblical concept, and some will even probably go and Google this and say, well, is self-care biblical? Well, is being a good steward of the body that God's given to you a good thing to do? Yes, it is. Is taking care of yourself spiritually a good thing for you to do? Yes, it is. But the thing is, is, and the caution here is, is as we look to this self-care and say, well, you know what, I've worked really hard and I deserve this, is where the caution comes in. Because we can be deceived into thinking that, you know, after being enslaved to sin and everything being about ourselves, that when we are no longer slaves to sin and we've been freed, that we're freed to once again, return to taking care of ourselves. So again, I'm not advocating that you don't take care of yourself, but a lot of what the world is saying in relation to self-care can be dangerous if left unchecked because you make it all about yourself again. Whereas as believers, we make it all about God. All right? So cease living to self comes out of 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, because that's how we regarded everything, because that's the eyes through which we saw everything, because that's what we were. We were fleshly, you know, spiritually dead, physically alive. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. So in other words, we saw Jesus Christ, God's son, through the eyes of the flesh, which, how does the eyes of the flesh see Christ at Christmas? Well, they don't see Christ at Christmas. All they see is a baby in a manger, a nice little quaint nativity scene that's out in front of churches. We regard him thus no longer. Well, the reason that happened is because there's a call to, be, to which you've been called. You now see Christ as the Son of God, not just a baby in a manger, not just a wholesome story from 2,000 years ago. What you see is the Son of God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so in other words, anyone who is a believer, anyone who's been redeemed, anyone who's been reconciled to God, he is a new creation. So it's not about me, it's all of a sudden it's about God because I'm living in light of a spiritual reality now that I did not have apart from Jesus Christ. That's why the old has passed away, behold the new has come. So we are looking at God through a spiritual lens now as opposed to God through a you know, carnal lens. You know, because if you talk to people that, you know, are, are carnal, then they'll think that, well, those are just the religious people. You know, they believe in something they can't see, you know. You know, it's just a waste of their time. They could be over here doing all this other stuff with us. See, that's the, the carnal mind looking at God. See, we are a new creation. The new has come. We are new because we are spiritually alive and no longer dead. So we cease living to self 
and everything that that pertains to living to the lust of the, the flesh, to the desire of the eyes and the sinful pride of life, because that is no longer who we are. We are living for the glory of God Almighty. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves like we're supposed to because we are stewards of this body. We are stewards of this word of God. We are stewards of the gospel good news going forth. So we cease living to self as the world lives for itself. Second is credence to God's authority and provision. First Chronicles 29, verses 11 and following says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. That's a beautiful verse. See, only redeemed people can see that, appreciate that, Embrace that, love that, have that become part of who they are because they see God as he is. They don't see God as we want him to be. We see God as he is. Everything belongs to him. The power, the greatness, the glory, the victory, the majesty. Verse 12 says, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. See, part of biblical humility is the credence or giving uh, the glory to the God who has authority and provision, recognizing it. God is the one who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And now we can appreciate it because we are now his children. See, that's why at one point there's going to be a time where every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Why is it going to bow? Because God is the creator of all things. Because he is the potter and we're the clay. And what a glorious thing for us to be able to experience that right here and now as children of God. To see his authority, to see his provision. Because we're not living just for ourselves. Third, counting others as more significant than yourself. Philippians chapter 2 Familiar passage, verses 3 and 4, says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, because before Christ, it was our own personal interests. There was always a reason, and that dwelled around what I wanted as opposed to what was best for everyone around me. That doesn't mean that people can't do things like that because there are people that do have a moral compass and are kind and generous people. But what characterizes this world is is the complete opposite of that. We are supposed to count others as more significant of ourselves because we all of a sudden have our eyes open to the fact that the world is bigger than us, that the world does not revolve around us. The reason the world even exists is because of God first. 
So that acronym JOY, when we say what brings you joy is Jesus, others, and you in that order. God first, others second, yourself last. All are still taken care of. All still gain some sort of attention, but the order is what's important. As believers, God's first, not me, myself, and I. God's first. And when God is first, he will give us a desire to put others above ourselves. But you'll notice in the text there that it says, not only to his, your own interest, but to the interest of others. So in other words, you just don't throw everything out in relation to yourself. Because again, there are lots of, of biblical commands and mandates that you can look at in relation to how we're supposed to live the Christian life and how we're supposed to take care of ourselves spiritually, physically, mentally, etc., but what God has done is he's redirected our focus. It's that upward call. That's that calling to which you have been called that Paul is urging you to walk in a manner worthy of. Fourth, contentment in God. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. For I know, to be, or I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So here's Paul once again speaking to being all over the spectrum. On one side and to the other in relation to his physical life, his spiritual life, his mental life. But the thing that he rests in is God. That's what brings him contentment because the circumstances change you notice they're polar opposites, brought low, abound, facing plenty or hunger, abundance or need. See, it doesn't matter what the opposites are, how far apart they are. If God is at the center of your existence, if he is first, if you are humble before him as someone who's been redeemed, then guess what? You are going to find contentment. Because your contentment is not from the circumstances or the extremes that you find yourself in. Your contentment is in God. And fifth, cast your burdens on the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So another sign of humility is that of casting your burdens on the Lord. So don't carry needless burdens with you or bring back to rehash to, as it were, beat yourself up when God says, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. See, the thing is, is we can willingly humble ourselves or be humbled by God. And we can see an example of that, multiple examples of that in the scriptures. So choose in 2023 to humble yourself rather than be humbled by God. You do that by ceasing living for self, credence to God's authority and provision, counting others as more significant than yourselves, finding your contentment in God and casting all your burdens on him. So how should this inform our lives today? If that wasn't all practical enough, here's the practical of the practical. Jesus' heart was in everything that he did every day. Think about it. Think about all of his encounters. Think about everything that Jesus did every day. 
everything he did every day, his heart was in it. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, that is our calling as well. Because we are not doing what we want to do any longer, which is what defined us apart from Christ, as if we were the center of the universe. Instead, we are like the Son of God who says, I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and therefore I'm going to live in light of the one who redeemed me, who is the Son of God, and so therefore I want to do the will of God. See the transition there? It's God first. So ask yourself as you think about some sort of resolve, some sort of determination or action or course of action that you're going to take spiritually in 2023. And ask yourself the question, how do my actions affect God? Do I live my life in light of the will of God? Do I please God with what I think, say, and do? Do I cause him grief with what I think, say, or do? See, the thing is, none of us are perfect. We're still confessing sin because we're still sinful or we're able to be sinful. So choose to heed the urgency, this admonition from Paul, which is really an admonition from the Lord, to walk worthy of the Lord himself, to do his will and not your own. See, do others see the one true God through my actions? Are you the same here at church as you are everywhere else that you find yourself going and, and being, whether people can see you or not? or whether you think people are watching or not. You know, one of the things that, you know, I, I've, I've learned over the years is that, you know, kids are always watching. My kids are still watching. They're just, most of them almost, well, they're almost all adults. But they're still watching. Well, the thing is, God is watching everything that we do. He knows the reason why we do the things we do. So when people see you, what are they seeing? Someone that's like the rest of the world or someone who has been redeemed, who is living in light of the will of God in their lives that is different, that is going against the flow. It's like the salmon going upstream against the current. What things in my life need to change in 2023 as a result of this admonition to walk in a manner worthy of my calling? Because we've all been called. We're all gifted differently, but we've all been called. We've been called out of darkness into light. We've been called out of a world that we thought revolved around us into a world where we see the creator God who is the potter and we're the clay. We see that we need God every hour of every day and not just when we think it's convenient for us. See, we are different people because we've been redeemed. And so live in light of that. Make a resolve that lasts more than one week or one month. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But oftentimes our, our resolve 
ends up falling apart. Maybe because we set the bar too high, maybe because we try and do things in and of our own power. But realize who you are in Christ Jesus, that you have the spirit of the living God within you. And if you make a resolve for God to, to mold you and shape you, for you to do his will, then guess what? God will do exactly that. So spend time in his word, spend time in prayer, and live for the Lord in 2023. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand as I close this out in a word of prayer this morning. Gracious Father, we thank you for a new year. We thank you for how you've guided us and directed us in 2022 uh, through its ups and downs. Uh, And Father, we ask that you would just help us to continue to be salt and light, uh, that we'd still be uh, full of joy, that uh, we would have a peace that passes all understanding so when people look at us, they go, what is different about you? Why is it that this does not even shake you or rattle you? Because we're resting, because we're trusting, because our contentment is coming from you and not from the things of this world. And so, Father, Lord, I ask that your spirit would empower each believer here, each one of my brothers and sisters in Christ, myself included, so that we may live uh, in light of uh, the walk to which uh, we've been called, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator God, almighty, the eternal one. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.